Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the February 2023 online Midwinter Home Education Conference. Today I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about health. Very general principles. We're going to chat about what it what it takes to be to be healthy, uh, from my perspective. And um, I, there's something in here that every single person uh, that's interested in health will find useful. And so, let's go ahead and jump into it. Yeah, I think when we talk about health, we first need to ask ourselves what is health, and that might seem like a really uh, philosophical question, but you know, depending on what you view as health and what your kind of end goal for your health is, uh, that will help you determine what the small step, the, excuse me, the small steps that you need to take in order to achieve your end goal of health. So for instance, just looking at this picture, maybe you think you need to eat different. Maybe you think that you want to get certain types of food in your diet. And so you obviously that would, that would influence what you're going to do with how you, with how you cook, with how you eat. Uh, maybe you want to bulk up. You want to have massive arms uh, like this, like Superman over here. And uh, so that would obviously be a lot different than just the things that you're eating, although it's all obviously combined. Uh, there's a lot of people, uh, especially in the U.S., that want to lose weight. Uh, and so um, every single thing is going to be different. And, you know, to you, maybe health is just being able to go outside and enjoy nature. And so you know, one of my aspects of health for me is, uh, and the reason that I exercise is because in my mind, I have this idea that when it's time to play, I want to be able to show up. So if my sons think they can beat me in basketball, I need to show them that they can. But if I get out there and like, and I'm like totally winded and whatever, then there's, there's not much I can do. And so that's one of the reasons that I, I, I exercise. I want to quickly talk about experts. So the next three slides basically are, um, me trying to say where you can go to for good information. Um, first of all, I want to say that uh, you can always go to your doctor. So I got a picture on the right of the doctor. Your doctor is the only one who can give you medical advice. Um, and if he doesn't have the advice that legally, that is, he's the only, if he doesn't have the advice, then he can send you to someone that does have the advice. There is also another person on the screen that is, um, well, actually, they're all probably just models, but the uh, there's another another profession on the screen that's um, able to give you advice, and that's a dietitian. So on, on the bottom, uh, this woman looks like she's holding some kale and a large avocado. Um, a dietitian is someone who usually has a master's degree in dietetics. Uh, they're licensed. They can work in a hospital. They can work with patients who have um, severe nutritional deficits. They can also work with healthy people <clears throat> to help them maximize their health. And so uh, those are two people that if you wanted somebody who was trained uh, and licensed to do it, those are two sources you go to. Your doctor for all sorts of health, a dietitian for specifically nutrition and maybe some, uh, maybe some exercise as well. But there's other places that um, people generally go to. Um, you may have heard the term nutritionist. That's not a legal term, but um, there are people that you know know a lot about nutrition uh, that are, are not dietitians. Uh, some people go to their personal trainer. The personal trainer is uh, usually exercise a lot. They usually also know some things about nutrition. Uh, yoga instructors, and you know, last but not least, uh, grandma. You know, your mom, uh, people that you know. Um, if there's one thing that I've noticed uh, in my sojourn here on Earth. It's that uh, everybody is an expert when it comes to nutrition and exercise. So no matter who you ask, they're probably going to think they know more than you. And, you know, they probably do know a lot of good stuff. And so uh, always good to take good information from wherever it comes. But again, if you are looking for information that's uh, from a licensed professional, uh, go to your doctor uh, or a dietitian. All right. And why I'm talking today. So. Um, I love this picture on the right. And the reason I love this picture is because uh, to me, that's the epitome of health. If at an advanced age, I can be active, then I consider that healthy. President Nelson's a great example of that. 
uh, in his 90s, he was still doing things that a lot of people in their 70s weren't doing. And so um, what I'm going to talk about today uh, hopefully will help us get, get to that, although I do talk about some of the other things that I mentioned first. And where am I pulling this information from? Uh, scriptures and prophets. I'll touch on that. I'm also going to touch on general nutrition and um, exercise principles like you would find in a textbook. Peer-reviewed research articles, which are um, which become the basis of what goes into a textbook later. Um, I don't. I, I may or may not actually directly talk about the blue zones, but in the back of my mind, that's what I'm thinking. So the blue zones is a book came out in like I don't know twenty. 10 or something like that. And um, it just talks about different areas of the world where people live a long time. Uh, my personal observations, obviously I'm biased like everyone else. And it's a disclaimer that no advice given today is a substitution for working with a doctor or other trained health professional. Uh, always go to them if you need, if you have specific questions. These are all general principles that I'll be talking about. Uh, here's some resources for you. I believe these are in the handout that uh, was prepared. Um, I'm referencing, and a few times I've referenced the Harvard School of Medicine. Uh, it's one of the premier medical schools in the United States, and they have a lot of published information for the general public. Uh, also, um, just in general, I'd say if there's a university hospital uh, and they publish health information, it's probably good government agencies, National Institutes of Health. That's a massive, massive uh, uh, database, I guess, of uh, information. And within that, there's Medline Plus, which is kind of more for people like me and you that aren't you know, reviewing several uh, peer-reviewed research articles. Uh, and then um, there's also the Centers for Disease Control, which a lot of people know about, especially from um, COVID-19 where there was a lot of recommendations that were coming out new from the Centers of Disease Control for the United States. And uh, they also have information. I'll, I'll have a direct uh, quote from them later. Other couple of good ones, WebMD, Cleveland Clinic, businesses that um, are legitimate, uh, Google Scholar if you are looking for peer-reviewed things, and of course, textbooks. You know, as I was going through this, I found this quote on one of the pages that I will talk about later, but it was like a really good synopsis of what I want to talk about today. Everyone knows that some of the keys in maintaining a healthy lifestyle include eating a balanced diet, getting enough sleep, and exercising. And so that's exactly what I want to talk about today. This is what matters most if you want to be healthy. One, you just sleep the right amount. Two, you need to move as much as you can. And three, you shouldn't eat too much. And like, if you checked out right now and was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to listen to this guy. You've, you've heard, you heard it. That's, that's the big reveal right there. And then I'm going to talk about a few more specific things. Uh, I'm going to talk about reasons why um, these are important. And in some cases, I'll talk about strategies or um, some general science-based principles of how to do this. Number one, you need to sleep. All right, Doctrine and Covenant, Section 88, 124. Cease to sleep longer, longer than is needful. Retire to that bed early that you may not be weary. So the Lord has asked us to sleep. Uh, and, you know, a lot of these things like sleep, move, eat, this is kind of common sense. Um, but, um, it's really, really important to sleep. <laughs> you know, I was a president Hinckley youth. Um, and I just remember him. I just remember there was always like this thing about, um, president Hinckley getting enough rest. And so I found a quote from him. If you go to bed at 10 and get up at 6, a, get up by 6 AM, things will work out for you. So make sure you get in your sleep and eight hours is also uh, a general recommendation from, uh, from government or, well, from uh, just in general science and medical advice as well. All right, sleep is the precursor to health. So I, I'm, there's a note right there uh, at the bottom, and I believe it's also in the handout. Um, 
how you can uh, find out some more information about why sleep. And so I'm just basically going to read what this says here. So obesity, several studies have linked insufficient sleep and, uh, and weight gain. For example, one study found that people who slept fewer than six hours per night on a regular basis were much more likely to have excess body weight, while people who slept on an average of eight hours per night had the lowest relative body weight, uh, body fat of the study group. So again, these are general principles. Uh, there was, a, general, there was a, a new member of the church at our house last night, and he struggles with insomnia, insomnia has for years. Um, but if you have the chance and you can uh, sleep, let's say eight hours, everyone's different. Some people need, some people need 12, some people need six. But the general recommendation is eight. If you can sleep eight hours a night, it will make your health better. And things like we'll talk about later, like building muscle mass and things, uh, healing, that stuff happens at night while you're sleeping. And so if you want to get big muscles and you're not sleeping, you're going to slow down the rate that you're going to be able to build muscle mass because that happens as you're sleeping. It's when your body heals itself largely because it doesn't have to spend energy doing other things that you um, do when you're awake. All right, diabetes. Studies have shown that people who reported sleeping fewer than five hours per night had a greatly increased risk of developing type two diabetes. Fortunately, studies have also found that improved sleep can positively influence blood sugar control and reduce the effects of type two diabetes. So again, diabetes is a major health problem in the United States uh, and in several countries, actually. Um, you can reduce the effects of diabetes if you do um, get diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Uh, you can reduce its effects by getting more sleep, and um, you also reduce your risk of developing it if you're getting sufficient sleep. Cardiovascular disease. A recent study found that even modestly reduced sleep, that is like losing one to two hours per night, uh, was associated with a greatly increased risk of coronary artery calcification, a predictor of future myocardial infarction and death due to heart disease. So in other words, people that lost even a moderate amount of sleep, just a few hours, uh, they, had a, they, had a, uh, they were more likely to get calcium inside of their blood vessels, inside of their arteries specifically. Uh, calcium in your arteries is not where you want your calcium. Um, and what that does is basically, if you have, think of it like a pipe, if it's being filled up with calcium, there's less space for the blood to flow through. And if anything blocks that, that's, then you have a, a full clot, a full blockage. And if that, if that blockage is on your heart, then you have a heart attack. And so um, getting sleep allows your body to um, not build up as much calcium in your, in your vein, in your arteries, which is extremely important for uh, long-term health. Immune function. Interactions between sleep and the immune system have been well-documented. And as a, just as a, an aside, I remember being on an internship one time down in Southern California and I wasn't sleeping enough. And I woke up one day sick and I was just thought to myself, I mean, this isn't scientific, but I thought to myself, you know, if, I, if I've been sleeping, this wouldn't have happened. But, um, you know, it actually says here that uh, sleep deprivation increases, increases a lot of uh, inflammatory mediators and, and infections affect the amount of sleep, your sleep pattern. So uh, inflammation is good. Inflammation is something that your body does to heal itself. But when you don't have any, um, when you have nothing to heal of, you shouldn't be having high inflammation levels. Regarding immune function, specifically the common cold, here's a little study that said, people who averaged less than seven hours of sleep a night were about three times more likely to develop cold symptoms than study volunteers who got eight or more hours of sleep when exposed to a cold-causing rhinovirus. So they actually had the, the rhinovirus that causes a cold, they were exposing them to it, and those who got more sleep were three times less likely to actually get symptoms. Furthermore, individuals who got better quality sleep were the least likely to come down with a cold. So not only can it uh, reduce symptoms, it can actually prevent some disease just by getting enough sleep. 
super important. Last but not least, mental health. Very uh, near and dear to our family. We have someone in our family who um, was bipolar and uh, been hospitalized a few times where, you know, basically locked up because they're, they've been very, very out of their mind. And uh, I don't know if there's actually a cause here. I don't think that just sleeping less causes, well, it can, but like uh, just in general, when people are having mental health problems, they're, they're not sleeping as much. And sometimes there, there could be a, there, maybe there's a, a cause factor there, maybe there's not. But I can tell you from personal experience that that was one of the first signs of uh, severe mental illness uh, in our family was that the person was sleeping very little and thought that they were getting enough sleep. And so um, there was a, a number here, I'm not, I, I don't have it up in front of me, but it's something like 80, 70 to 80% of people with mental health problems, anxiety, depression, bipolar, they, uh, they're, not, they're not getting enough sleep versus 10 to 20% in the general population. So really good for your brain, really good for your body, get your sleep. Number two, move. Second part of the same, same verse, Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 124, arise early that your bodies and your minds may be invigorated. So when I read that, and I think actually I heard someone else quoting this earlier today. When I read that, I hear, wake up, so go to bed early, wake up early so that you can exercise and study. So you can invigorate your body and your mind. Okay, when it comes to exercise, like I said, there's, there's a lot, lot out there. I'll say it again here in a slide or two. The main thing that you have to just think about is what's your goal with your exercise? One, do you want to become an elite athlete like this guy playing soccer? You want to be able to dribble better. You want to be able to score more. You want to be faster. Uh, or do you want to, like I mentioned with the surfing gal, do you want to be able to just be very active and move around a lot at an advanced age? Do you want to be able to recover quickly from an accident or amputation in the case of the picture here? Do you want to lose weight? Or do you want to have really big muscles, uh, get tanned, wax yourself, and pose beside a really old telephone? And so depending on what you want to do, um, you would have different, uh, different exercise regimens. Okay, exercise guidelines. All right. these, are, these are the recommendations, right? So I'm going to talk more specifics. But this is the recommendation. This is, this is a screenshot from the CDC. Um, I think this came out in 2019. You can see there are like the new exercise guidelines, any changes for you, Harvard Health. That was them basically talking about this. And so um, if you wonder how much you should be exercising for maximum health, at this point in time, 2019, this is what the government is saying you should do. Um, doesn't mean you can't do more. Doesn't mean that they're not going to have new recommendations in uh, another eight years or whatever it is. How I don't remember how often. If it's every ten years, it'd be I guess another six years. But um, this is the current recommendation. So one, if you're doing moderately intense aerobic exercise, that's like uh, walking briskly and things. If you're doing that, you would do 150 minutes a week. So uh, half hour a day, a half hour every working day, I guess. You also should do some, some muscle building exercises because muscles, with, here's something you may or may not know. So with muscles, they want to atrophy. They want to become smaller, okay? The only way that you prevent that is to work them. Fat, on the other hand, is different. So going back to muscle real fast, it's generally accepted that you cannot gain muscle cells. You can only make the muscle cells larger. Fat, on the other hand, you can gain new muscle, you can gain new fat cells, and they don't go away when you lose weight. So they're always there. So you're kind of, you're really disadvantaged when it comes to it. the muscles want to get smaller and the fat wants to get bigger. Um, and so uh, you should always be doing some sort of strength exercises. They're saying even just, even as little as two days a week. Um, can help you maintain muscles. 
Or if you wanted to do something more intense than the uh, than just a moderate exercise, like a brisk walk, you can do an intense aerobic exercise for half as much time. Or you can do a combination of the both. Really up to you. But those are the minimum recommendations for um, uh, getting the health benefits from exercise. So 150 minutes of moderate exercise or 75 minutes of intense exercise, <laughs> excuse me, intense uh, aerobic exercise or a combination. And then everyone needs to do some muscle strengthening. So resistance. Okay. Anaerobic, strength training, getting buff. Tons of programs out there. It's going to be really hard. And honestly, they probably all work. Uh, but it's going to be really hard to know what to do. So I'm going to take it about as basic as I can. This is what a muscle does. Okay. This is how muscles work. Muscles do, well, they do two things, but we're just going to talk about one. They do one thing, basically. They pull. They don't do anything else. So if you want to work a muscle, you need to find find the muscle that you want to work and then make sure it's pulling. So it's pretty, pretty straightforward. If you have, if you have your, let's say your bicep here, right? If you want to work that, then you would put something here in your hand that makes you pull it this way. I'm doing it. This is kind of not working with gravity, but that's, that's basically how it works. All it does is pull. It doesn't push. Muscles don't push. They only, they only pull. If you want to do your tricep, right? This way is just gravity. So nothing happens. But if you're like this, and you want to work this muscle, you put a weight there and you would extend out. This muscle is going to get smaller. It attaches to your arm here and it attaches up here. And as it gets smaller, your arm comes up. It's really straightforward. That's all muscles do. They only pull. You can go online and find uh, diagrams of muscles. So if you ever want to isolate a certain muscle or muscle group, uh, you can you can find them. Uh, when you go to the gym, you see the thing. It'll show somebody going like this, and they'll say, "Oh, it's this muscle, this muscle." And um, yeah, they work together, but in every instance, they're only pulling. So you think about a push-up. So oh, it seems like you're pushing, right? No, you're actually pulling. When you're doing a push-up, you're actually pulling. So you have your muscle here, right? So this muscle is going to contract, which is going to straighten my arm, and then I have my chest muscles, my pectoral muscles. They're going to contract and that's going to bring because it attaches to my arm and to my uh, breastbone here it's going to get smaller and that's going to bring that forward so we're pushing or we're actually all of our muscles are just put uh, excuse me are just pulling so that's how a muscle works if you want to work a muscle just find the muscle you want to get bigger i mean hopefully you're working all your muscles but if you wanted to have a bigger bicep or whatever then you're going to want to find that muscle and see how you can pull against it. Okay, here's some general principles. Um, first is don't overdo it. You can hurt yourself lifting weights. So uh, you can put too much weight on. Uh, you can dislocate a shoulder. That's really bad if you're holding the weight. You can um, you can tear a muscle. A small tear is, I think, generally considered to be good. That's how your muscle repairs and gets bigger. Uh, a large tear is not good. That means you're not going to be exercising for a while. Uh, and you can also rip a tendon, which is means you're not going to be doing anything with that muscle for a while either. So don't overdo it. Um, be patient. Uh, it takes time to build muscle. Um, you look at this picture here, if you start with very little muscle, you can, it is possible to gain a lot of muscle really quickly. I don't know if this was, if this was true or not. I just, I just snagged this thing off the internet, but it's, it's, it's not out of the question. So if you're starting with very little, you can gain muscle pretty quick. A healthy male can gain between a half a pound to, uh, to two pounds a, a month. And at an absolute max, uh, you would be able to get, if if you weren't already exercising, you could gain 40 to 50% of your muscle mass in one year. So, if, you know, if you weren't exercising, you had 50 pounds of muscle, then in theory, the, the max you could get would be another 25 pounds of muscle, which is a massive amount of muscle in one year. Uh, after that, it would slow down. You wouldn't gain as fast, but you would still gain muscle. Um, 
and hypertrophy or the enlargement of muscles, atrophy would be the, the decreasing of size of muscle. Uh, hypertrophy is slower in women. Uh, there's a link there that you can go to to find out what's a, just an average muscle mass for people by age. Okay. Already talked about hypertrophy. One R RPM, I'm not talking about a revolution per minute. If you want to gain muscle mass, it's generally accepted that you need to work with at least 70% of your minimum excuse me, 70% of your one repetition max. So for instance, if you can bench press hundred pounds, if you want to gain muscle mass, you need to be working with at least 70%, or excuse me, at least, yeah, 70 pounds. Um, if you work with less than that, it's not like it's not good exercise. It could be fantastic exercise. Uh, motion is the lotion that's makes what's good for your joints is moving your joints. Um, and so it's still great exercise, but if you, if your specific goal is to become bigger, then uh, you need to be working with at least 70, maybe even 70 to 80% of your one repetition max. Uh, one general rule would be is like, if you can do 12 repetitions of something, then you need to go up and wait. Uh, quick aside from me, so lengthening. Uh, there's a study here, it's kind of confusing and I don't agree with every, the way they did everything, but um, I think it has a good principle in that they showed that people, they basically gave them, um, I think it was a bicep curl and some people would only take the weight up, some people would only take the weight down and some people did both. And the ones that gained the most, not surprising, did both. But the but not far behind that were the people that only went down. But the people that only went up, they uh, they had the least increase by far. And so um, I think for me the moral of the story is don't uh, don't neglect going down because it's easy to you know if you're doing a pull up to pull yourself up and then just let yourself drop. But then you're basically cutting the number of repetitions in half because you could be pulling yourself up and allowing yourself to go down controlled where you're actually you're using muscles in both directions. And just anecdotally, I've heard that that's one of the secrets to bodybuilders is them actually letting their muscles lengthen while under tension. It also increases your total time under tension, which some people would argue is the, the real secret to have to building muscle mass is making sure that you're continually putting strain on your muscle. So don't forget to go down at a rate that it's not just gravity is yanking down the weight. Make sure that you're in control in both directions. Okay. Cardiovascular or aerobic uh, exercise. Okay. We talked about how your muscles work. Let's talk quickly about how your heart works. Heart's broken up into four chambers. The right atrium receives blood from your body, goes into your right ventricle. The right ventricle then pushes the blood into your lungs, L uh, water is not water. Blood is received from your um, lungs to your left atrium, and then you can see the muscle around the left ventricle is quite big. That pushes it to the rest of your body. Uh, and so, it is a muscle. Uh, this muscle is different in that it's not attached to any bones, and um, it doesn't pull per se. It just squeezes, and um, it's arguably, I'd say definitely the most important muscle in your body. And uh, so you want to make sure that you have as good a fitness for your health as possible, because without it, it's, uh, you know, you can only, you can only live for seconds. Um, you never know what's going to happen in life. Uh, we're in the Lord's hands. Uh, so all we can do is play the odds when it comes to health. And so uh, if you want to, place your bets quote, quote unquote on something be put it on your heart uh aerobic means with oxygen cardio means heart and vascular refers to your blood vessels so the any if you hear somebody talking about aerobic exercises or cardiovascular exercises we're talking about things that um talking about exercise for your heart and um 
it's potentially the best exercise. I'm going to read this. While any kind of movement and exercise can be beneficial, many experts agree that the best kind of exercise is aerobic exercise. And here's some of the reasons. So when you're when you're doing an anaerobic exercise, like lifting weights, you're not necessarily burning fat. But when you when you're doing um, an aerobic an aerobic exercise, so you know less intense than trying as hard as you can to push a bar or lift something up. You're doing it for over usually a longer period of time. Your heart's pumping. And so your, your body is going to pull energy from fat that it's stored over the years from eating. And, uh, as it does that, you may lose weight. Um, yeah, it gives a decrease in your resting heart rate. I don't know all the details with that, but I will say it's generally understood. Like when you go to the doctor, it's one of the first things I always check is your heart rate, your blood pressure. Um, if you have a lower resting heart rate, that's an indicator of a very healthy heart because it doesn't have to pump as many times to get blood through your body. So if you're, if you're say resting heart rate was like 90, which, you know, you would want, and you can use exercise to get it down to 70. I don't know if that's actually possible. It might not be, but, um, that would be an indication that your heart's able to do more with less, um, less contractions. Um, increase in stamina and strength. I think it's pretty straightforward. The more you exercise, the more you run, the more you'll be able to run. <laughs> um, better fitness, reduced risk of high blood pressure, diabetes, stroke, obesity, and heart disease. Um, those are the things that um, are considered the biggest health problems of the United States in the 21st century. Um, if in general, people's, people had less blood pressure, uh, less diabetes, then they would be healthier in general. And um, exercise, so when you exercise, your, your blood pressure actually goes up while you're exercising. Um, but being able to put your, put your vascular system under some, some stress uh, controlled can actually be good for it versus if it's always under stress, then it it's more likely to fail. So uh, cardiovascular exercise can be good for, uh, for all of that, including stroke, which is basically when you bleed inside of your, in your brain. So if you can prevent those things, great. Lowers uh, stress and anxiety, another good reason to get out there. Say you're, whether you're a student stressed out about school or you're a homeschool mom or dad that's stressed out about how to teach your children, uh, going for a run can, uh, lower anxiety. And, and sometimes I've noticed, you know, right after maybe I'm like super worn out, but I, I personally feel like I can think more clearly after an exercise. Um, yeah. Increasing good cholesterol, which is, a is a, uh, kind of an indicator of heart disease. doesn't necessarily mean heart disease, but people that have more high density lipoproteins, HDL cholesterol, uh, is considered to be better for your health. Quick aside from me, how do you get from point A to point B? Um, so there's a lot of reasons that we move around, uh, but I would say if there is something that you do, uh, whether it's go to school, go to work, uh, go to the store. If you are able to do it safely, and most of the time that's not an option because people drive crazy. You don't want to get yourself killed. Or if you just legit don't have time, then you can't either. But if you can safely get from point A to point B and you have the time to do it, I would encourage you to consider just walking or riding a bike or something because it's been my observation uh and i think there may be some data to to support this that the people who generally live the longest and are healthy are those that just don't drive everywhere um people this kind of does go to the blue zones people that like walk around they live a long they oftentimes live a long time and so um and it's not like they're doing these mad exercises or anything they're just they're just legit walking around and so, um, yeah, if something's not an extreme distance, 
you know, you say, oh, I need to go get something small from the store and you can safely do it and you have the time to do it, then you should really consider not driving your car. And that's going to influence your health uh, potentially drastically. So let's think about it. Uh, don't do anything that's not safe. I'll throw that out there. I ride, I personally ride my bike often to work. It's like, and it's an electric bike, so I don't even have to pedal that hard, but I do have to pedal. Uh, and, um, you know, I get passed by like one car cause I'm, I, I live in the Denver area and there's like lots of bike trails. I'm only on the road for a short amount of time. And where I am, it's just like residential area. Um, and if I had to be on a busy street, I just wouldn't ride my bike. So make sure you're safe. Number three, eat. A lot of diets out there. Uh, I'm not going to suggest any of them. Uh, they might all be good. I don't know, but it can be a little confusing when there's so many things out there, like the keto diet, for example, I have that here. I was actually designed for people with, uh, that had, um, untreatable epilepsy and it's very effective for that, but a lot of people do it for other reasons as well. It's been very effective for them. <clears throat> I'm not going to endorse any particular, um, diet. So we're just going to talk about general principles. Card talked about how muscles work. This is how food works. There's macro. The first part is macronutrients. Uh, macronutrients are the things that give you calories. So we have carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and then we also have water, which doesn't give you any calories, but uh, is the most important nutrient on the planet because. Uh, yeah, you, you have to, you, you can go, you could potentially go a long time without getting any food. If you're a healthy person and you don't have any dietary, uh, specific dietary needs, but you cannot go a long time without water. And so, um, yeah, water is also very important, but those are the macronutrients, the big ones, the ones that give you calories and water. Those are micronutrients. Micronutrients could potentially give you some calories, but that's not why they're consumed. So at the bottom there, I think I grabbed that one. I believe that's vitamin A, uh, that chemical uh, chemical structure there. Um, that one is uh, used for a lot of things. Your eyesight has a lot of other functions as well that I've not come to my mind. But uh, a vitamin is called a is called a vitamin because it's um, it's vital to your health. Your body can't synthesize it itself. You have to get it from your food or you have to get it from other sources like vitamin D you can get from being in the sun. Um, but it has to come to you. You can't make it your own, make it on your own. Uh, there's also thing, uh, minerals. So magnesium, these are usually metals, uh, magnesium, calcium, iron, some aren't like phosphorus. Um, but all those things are just taken in very small amounts and those do not give any calories. There's also some other things that you get in your diet, um, such as you see here, this, this little diagram on the upper right has choline, acetylcholine. You can get those things from food sometimes, um, <clears throat> some foods, and that's a neuro, they're showing that this is a neurotransmitter. And so um, you can get some of those things from your food as well. And then there's other things uh, like antioxidants. So anthocyanins, such as this uh, lovely lady here that's holding a um, purple cabbage. It's probably got anthocyanins in it that cause it to be purple. And those are generally, um, uh, most any pigment is, uh, is good for you. And so um, they can do things for your health that other things can. Some very specific ones such as, you know, lutein uh, makes, you, makes you actually process images quickly. So like a baseball player seeing a ball come would be able to potentially process the ball uh, image coming towards him faster because of the lutein that he's eating in his kale or something or from a supplement. Uh, general principle here, health uh, or nutrient density is the nutrients over the calories. So if you wanna figure out how healthy something is, this we don't actually calculate this per se, but um, that's how you would say, well, how many nutrients am I getting? How many calories are I getting? So here's a, here's a good example. 
Uh, I, I said that water is the most important nutrient. Uh, we don't often think of it that way, but it definitely is. And so we'll give it a 100, you know, just for, just for mass. We're going to say it's a 100. And calorie-wise, there's no calories in water, but I'm going to give it a one. I'll say it's one calorie just because it makes the math easy. We'll, get, we'll give it a score of 100. Let me go to the Dr. Pepper. Uh, the Dr. Pepper is, um, we'll say, you know, maybe you can absorb 50. We'll give it a 50 for the water that you can absorb. Um, and then you can, we'll give it 100 for the calories because sugar, you need, you need calories to live. And so um, 150 and then so 100, so 100 from the sugar, 50 from the uh, water, and then a 12 ounce can of Dr. Pepper is 150 uh, calories. So we'd give it a one and we would give the water a 100. We don't actually calculate these things, but it's just to kind of help you understand that when you're, if you want to see how healthy a food is, you would just say, well, how much nutrition am I getting it for the calories that I need? And soda to me, it should be a treat. Uh, used to be able to go to the pharmacy and get a soda. Somehow it became uh, a reasonable alternative to water or milk when you're um, having lunch. Um, but it shouldn't be in my opinion. It's a, it's a treat, it's just sugar. It's basically just sugar and water. So um, it's, it would be a very nutrient poor, um, option because a lot of calories but very few extra nutrients versus you know other things that have lots of could potentially have lots of calories and lots of nutrition or just lots of nutrition all right balanced diet are supplements needed well that depends on you if you're talking to your dietitian and they say hey you really need to take a supplement for this then yeah you need supplements it's generally accepted that people who eat a balanced diet don't need supplements but that's something you have to find out for yourself, whether maybe, maybe you do. Um, and so, uh, yeah, eat a balanced diet, lots of different things. Don't eat the same thing over and over. Um, but try to try to bring in lots of things, try to introduce a lot of different foods into your diet, because as the more you do that, the more balanced your diet will be and the more nutrients you're going to get out of your food. General principle, the more color, the better. And I'm not talking about FDNC colors like sunset yellow or brilliant blue. I'm talking about the ones that come out of plants, mostly out of plants. Uh, there are pigments in, in meat as well. You know, meat's red for a reason. Um, and you need that pigment. But uh, this is a general statement. The more color you have on your plate, the better. That doesn't mean I don't eat French fries uh, you know, cause I do, uh, and potatoes are good for you actually, but, um, you, uh, if you want to get as many nutrients uh, as possible, it's a, a, it's a general statement that if you have more color on your plate, you're going to get more nutrients, especially as I'd mentioned, things like anthocyanins, betalanes, anthoxanthins, zeaxanthins, all these things that contribute color, beta carotene, as we all know, um, that contribute color, they're usually antioxidants. So an antioxidant means that if you have any free radicals, a free radical is, a, is an electron that's not attached to anything. If there are any free radicals, they can absorb a free radical. And that means it's not no longer going around your body because if it keeps going around your body, it can damage your DNA, that can lead to cancer and things. Uh, thankfully, your body has a lot of does a lot to, you know, stop those things. But the more, the more anthos, well, the more pigments you eat, uh, plant pigments, including chlorophyll, the, uh, the more you can absorb these things that are potentially harmful to your body. So the more color, uh, don't eat too much meat. I'm not going to say a lot about this, but uh, Doctrine and Covenants 89.12, yea, flesh also of beasts and of fowls of the air, I the Lord have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving, nevertheless they are to be used sparingly. I'd say generally accepted that red meat uh, should be not overconsumed. Some challenge that. I'm not going to go into it really, but I would say 
generally speaking, you should limit the amount of eat, uh, excuse me, the amount of meat that you eat. I do think you can have a healthy diet that includes a lot of meat. I personally eat quite a bit of meat. Uh, I prefer to eat less, honestly. Um, but I felt it's helped me kind of maximize my health where I'm at right now. In the future, I think I'd like to eat less. And um, yeah, that's all I'll say about it. Law of the fast. You know, when I was at BYU, I was in a nutrition class uh, as part of my food science program. And the professor said, the benefits of fasting are spiritual, which was implying that it's not good for you because, you know, the Krebs cycle, our bodies are made to break down carbohydrates. Um, he was wrong. Uh, fasting is good for you. Um, you know, I've heard people say it flushes out your body. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but just as in general, uh, fasting is, is good for you. Verse eight of Isaiah 58. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning and thine hell shall spring forth speedily and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. So there's some blessings associated with fasting in addition to the purpose of it, which is in the previous verses that we're supposed to use that money to benefit the poor uh, and the needy. Um, fasting is, is really good and i have my own opinions on it but they're not really scientifically based i think that it just it allows you to kind of get more control over your uh, what you eat uh keeps your stomach gives your stomach a chance to contract if you've been eating too much and um it's good fasting also in my opinion and i think some people kind of hypothesize this that if you are not eating as much then your body can spend more time healing itself than just digesting food where you're trying to build, pump out more enzymes and things so you can digest. If you don't have to do that as much, your body can spend more time healing itself. Just a thought. Uh, so main thing, don't overeat. Uh, you can, here's another um, link. You know, this, this article here starts off saying, uh, and I think this one is in the, uh, is in the handout. This article starts off by saying, well, we don't really know. But then every time they list the study, it's positive. So fasting diets have, are shown oftentimes to be positive. They can be shown to be negative because some people try to starve themselves. And it's a bad idea. You should never, you, you definitely need to eat as much as you need. If you have a friend or family member who struggles with bulimia or anorexia, um, let them know that they're, they, they should talk to a dietitian, uh, and that may be a mental health problem as well. They may talk to a psychiatrist. Um, but if you don't have a, a eating disorder, um, just don't eat too much. And that that's for everyone really just don't eat too much. And, uh, it's been shown several times that that is potentially one of the, one of the key things to living a long life with, uh, with, uh, pushing back, um, age-related diseases is to eat less in basically every species, including humans. And so, um, yeah, eat as much as you need. I just want to make sure that's clear. I'm not, I'm not, no one should like take their body image and say, Hey, I need, I'm just, I'm not what I would think I should be. Don't worry about any of that. Eat as much as you need. Um, make sure that you're healthy, take care of yourself because um, going the opposite direction is just as if not more harmful. So take care of yourself, uh, eat as much as you need and just don't overeat. All right. This one's from me. This one's straight from me. Uh, here's advice. I think most people can use turmeric is good for you. Tons of studies. Anti-inflammatory is probably the main thing, but I mean, anti-depression, everything else is it's, it's a good it's a good thing. I take it as a supplement personally. You can, or you don't have to listen to anything I'm saying right now. This is all just Josh's opinion, but it's based off of what I've read from um, peer-reviewed research. Uh, magnesium. As a general rule, I think the U.S. population needs magnesium. Uh, you probably don't if you're a vegetarian. Uh, and by the way, I think being a vegetarian is a very healthy lifestyle. And anecdotally, uh, I've I've heard that it's, yeah, 
the, some heart surgeon said that he just knows that people that were vegetarians had more flexible arteries. So this is anecdotal, anecdotal, but um, I think it's actually, there's good reasons to believe that. So if you eat a lot of magnesium, or excuse me, calcium, um, such as we get from our milk, some people are taking calcium supplements, that can potentially, especially with supplements, could potentially have a problem as getting calcium in your arteries, like we mentioned earlier. Magnesium helps you um, to use calcium effectively, right? It doesn't help you absorb it better. Uh, that's why they put vitamin D into milk as well, because it helps you absorb the calcium. But to use it effectively in your bones, uh, you need to have um, you need to have a sufficient amount of magnesium. And in fact, there was a study that where they needed to have they wanted to, um, they wanted the bones of a mouse. So I apologize if someone doesn't believe in animal testing. But they needed um, they wanted a model where the bones were brittle, but they had a lot of calcium, so high bone mineral density, but weak bones. And they basically just removed magnesium from their diet, and that made their bones weak, even though they had tons of calcium. So you need to have magnesium. It's good for good for your heart, good for everything. And the nice thing about it is your body will let you know if you've got too much because it just comes right out. <laughs> um, uh, nuts are very good for your health. It's been shown several times that people eat a lot of that people eat nuts on a regular basis have good health, good heart health. Um, vitamin D uh, has became more popular during COVID. They didn't they didn't draw any conclusions, but generally speaking, uh, people with higher levels of vitamin D in their blood are more resistant to respiratory infections, including COVID. And then one near and dear to me, I have in the bottom right corner, is natto. If you ever read the book, uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, uh, to me, this is the answer. This is the reason there's the French paradox, although this is the Japanese part. We just call it the French paradox. Natto, soy in general is very good for you, but natto is especially good for you. There's something in it that, and extremely, it's vitamin K2. It's only found in natto and cheeses and things. Um, and it's uh, super good for you. Tastes, tastes horrible. Most Americans won't eat it, but sometimes I go on a little nacho cleanse. Uh, superfoods. Superfoods are ones that are very high, uh, very high nutrient density. Um, a lot of people are scared to eat soy. If you have a specific problem with soy, whether it's an allergy or something else, then don't eat it. But otherwise, you should eat soy. Soy is really good for you. And if the problems that people think are associated with soy are a real thing, then all of China and Japan and, and other places in Asia would just be totally hosed, but they're not because it's not true. And um, soy is very good for you. I put on here two foods that when I, when I was in nutrition classes over and over, every time we were studying a nutrient, you want to know where it was found high in a food. Over and over, there was two foods that popped up and I'm putting them here. One is broccoli and the other one's liver. So broccoli and liver are high in almost every nutrient that you would need to be healthy. Uh, obviously, the from a nutrient density standpoint, broccoli is going to be a lot higher because there's basically no calories. I mean, there are some, but there's not a lot of calories in broccoli. Uh, liver has a lot of calories, but um, and a lot of cholesterol, but it's uh, it has a lot of a, a lot of nutrients in it. So much so that you can't actually eat. You can't eat too much liver because you could get a vitamin A toxicity. You would get too much vitamin A and become, you could become quite sick. So um, yeah, very, uh, very good. And um, it's my understanding that if you cook, you can't get the, um, I can't think of the, the term right now, but when you're grilling and stuff and you get that black char, some of those things, those are carcinogens. Um, or maybe not grilling, but maybe pan frying. You can get some carcinogens from meat, but you can't get them from, um, from liver is my understanding, or at least they're much less likely to happen. Uh, and lastly, berries. Berries are superfoods, blueberries especially. You look at them, they're just deep, rich color. That means there's tons of pigments there. And so all those, you eat those, you get the benefits of the pigments. They also taste great. Um, so yeah, berries are really, really healthy. All right, back to the beginning here. General principles for health. It's like this lady beside the surfboard, this, uh, again, she may not search at all. She might just, probably just model, but 
Um, if you can be active in your 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s, then um, that to me is the epitome of health. So to get there, general principles, everyone's different, but generally speaking, sleep the right amount, uh, move as much as you can, and don't eat too much. Thanks. Okay, I don't know if some questions came up or not. Um, looks like there's only a couple in the chat, so maybe not too much, but certainly welcome to ask questions now if you want. Was there anything in the chat, uh, Melanie? No, I didn't see anything pop up, but I can ask a question. I'm uh, curious sure. about things that you do to promote health within your family. Um, we've really enjoyed the Disney Plus show Limitless. I really appreciated how um, Dr. Peter Atia mentioned in an episode that we watched about how a lot of people are overnourished. And I thought that was a really great way of just eating too much. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious if there are any things that you do within your family to promote health whether it's bike riding or other things. Yeah. So we, we do bike ride. Um, and we, we do, uh, some things where we, we put limits. Like if, you know, my, one of my sons really likes video games and we, we basically tell him you're, you're not allowed to play anymore until you, until you get an equal amount of exercise. <laughs> and so, um, we put limits on things like, like that. The other son, he, um, he, uh, he's more into some sports and stuff. So he's getting a fair amount from, from that. But, uh, yeah, we have, we have equipment in our home. Uh, we have, uh, pull-up bars, a bench, we have a punching bag. Uh, we have, uh, weights. My wife actually got little five pound weights right here. Um, but we have like adjustable weights and stuff like that. So and we have an exercise bike. So we, we try to give them opportunities to do it. doesn't mean they're actually going to use it. Um, and sometimes I, even when my son wants to play video games, tell me you have to stand up by playing <laughs> just because, uh, you know, people just need to move. Like, like I, my opinion, honestly, is that the best exercise is probably just walking. Uh, I think when you're young, if you, the more resistance you can do, the better, because when you get older, it's going to be harder to do that. But um, yeah, how you get around is, really good um our kids um so my one son the homes one is homeschooled and he uh he goes to uh, a once a week enrichment program through the school district and when it's warm enough then we tell him he has to bike thank you great answer any other questions that you guys have we've got one more or two more minutes I've got one. What about um, encouraging healthy eating without shaming? Without shaming? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, oh, you shouldn't be eating that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. You know, um, uh, most people like mac and cheese. And I don't think that eating mac and cheese is, you know, a terrible thing to do. Um, I think the main thing that I think is... Um, you know, I, when I was in some nutrition classes, I think they called it like a challenge food that, you know, you can give them stuff because they, water is the most important nutrient, as I mentioned, but calories are nutrients, right? And so, um, they need to have calories so their body can grow and their body can build muscles, build bones. Um, but introducing a challenge food is a good way to help them to get more nutrients. So like, you know, I don't know what you have introduced or haven't introduced, but like if it were broccoli, say, say, hey, you can have your mac and cheese or your hot dog or whatever it is, but you need to eat this as well. And, you know, they'll probably be grumpy about it, but, um, you know, introducing more and more challenged foods, I think will help them to get to where they'll, they'll be willing to accept more things. Great, thank you. Thank you so much to Josh Smith, our presenter, and for everyone who came. I hope you guys have a wonderful Friday. Latter-day Saint Home Educators is a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. 
If you are interested in listening to more recordings or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.